Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is the uh, October bonus episode for Seeing and Believing. Mm -hmm. I'm, of course, uh, your host, Kevin McLenathan. I am your co-host, Sarah Welch-Larson. Yeah, and uh, we've got quite a film we're going to be talking about for this bonus episode. So if you've been anywhere near Twitter in the last couple of weeks, then you've probably seen a lot of debates swirling around Andrew Dominic's Blonde mm -hmm. for, for Netflix. There's a lot of reasons for this. It's about... Marilyn Monroe, and uh, it's rated NC-17, and it's got a lot uh, lot going on in it. So uh, mm -hmm. we're going to take our stab at that with, with this week's episode. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting movie to have an interesting conversation about, um, especially because it's definitely going to be in that award season conversation, too. So we can get into that as well. Um, but... Before we get into that, just a quick summary of what this movie is and, and what it's about and why it's about what it's about. So based on the 2000 novel of the same name by Joyce Carol Oates, Blonde follows the life and stardom of Norma Jean, the woman who would become the mid-century film icon and sex symbol Marilyn Monroe. Through the film, we skip through snapshots of Norma Jean's triumphs and, more frequently, her traumas, as she attempts to assert her own identity in a world that really only sees her as Marilyn. So, Kevin, much has been made of this movie's cruelty towards the character of Marilyn and of Ana de Armas's performance as Norma Jean. And I think we'll get into both as, as we talk about this movie. But before we do, I kind of want to talk about the craft of the filmmaking that's on display here. So when we first discussed whether or not we were going to be talking about this movie, you did mention that you wanted to watch a Dominic movie. And I'm, I'm curious to know, did you did you get your Andrew Dominic fix? Did you get what you were looking for? And, and was this what you were hoping for? I, I mean, yeah. Uh, if we're going to start there, I would say wholeheartedly that I do think that I got my Dominic movie fix. I adore his 2007 film, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I think it's it only grows in my estimation with every passing year. Mm. I think he's a, a very talented director. I think he's a very talented screenwriter too. Mm. Um, and what I was looking for with Blonde was something similar uh, in terms of the filmmaking to the assassination of Jesse James in that uh, he would, I was hoping to see him, you know, take a, a familiar figure and render, render the, the figure kind of strange to us. Like mm. oh, through the filmmaking kind of cause us to question, you know, what we're seeing and, and question what, received wisdom has kind of been swirling around this character maybe obscuring them the truth of them from from our sight hmm. um i think assassination of jesse james did some really interesting things that kind of made it feel almost like you were looking at it through clouded glass a little bit like a you know old timey glass it just felt like it really wore its period piece trappings in a way that enhanced the story rather than just being window dressing mm. um and i think with blonde something similar is happening where i think there's some really inventive visuals going on here that do more than just sort of give the audience something to look at and be just like visually interesting but actually causes us to think about what filmmaking is mm. what acting is and 
the ways that those things can both reveal and obscure. So I, I think uh, on a craft standpoint, Blonde very much succeeds just on, on in terms of the nuts and bolts of the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Well, since you asked the question, I'm kind of curious to know if what your thoughts are on that, though. Yeah, um, I found it kind of illuminating. So this is actually my first Andrew Dominic movie. I have not seen Assassination <gasps> of Jesse James. Oh, man. Okay. So we're going to have to add that one to the watch oh, list, Oh, we are, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's a movie that I, I have been interested in seeing, and I actually I really like the score quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Nick Cave and Warren Ellis score, mm-hmm. which is also the case for Blonde as well. Um, and I have songs from that on my writing playlist. So I'm familiar with the score. I, I just am not as familiar with the visuals. So when you had mentioned that you wanted to see an Andrew Dominic movie, I didn't fully know what you meant. And I think I have a slightly better picture of what that looks like now. Um, this feels almost like a collage to me in in a way. There's some interesting shifts between aspect ratio and color grading and not even all of the black and whites are the same level of black and white. Like there is a level of crispness to the black and white when you're at the premiere scenes that is very distinct and different from the slightly more grainy blacks and whites that you get in the behind the scenes scenes that feature Marilyn Monroe. Um, And then there's also some interesting stuff going on with different images superimposed on top of each other. Um, And I'm thinking in particular of, of one where you get a shot of Marilyn and then you get the image of Niagara Falls being very like specifically placed on top of that shot. And and it means something very specific there. And then it fades out to the actual Niagara Falls and then kind of flows on into Niagara, the movie that that Marilyn Monroe was in. And so I I think that there is a level of, of care and specificity in the way that some of these images are sort of like... It, it feels like they've been cut out with a razor and sort of pasted on top of each other and they kind of add a little bit of additional meaning on top of them. Devoid of all of the other like cultural conversation about this movie, which we probably will end up getting into on some level, I did appreciate the craft very much. You, I, I'm glad you brought up the how this film made you think of a collage mm-hmm. because in a way that's... I, I I think that that quality of it is both what I like and what I dislike uh, about the picture. I think that mm-hmm. Blonde, taken as a whole, feels less like a linear biopic where we sort of begin with uh, Marilyn or uh, uh, Norma Jean mm-hmm. as a as a young girl and go all the way up through through her tragic death. Um, it feels more like a series, like an anthology film, like a series of short films about what it meant to be Marilyn Hmm. um, and what it meant to be Marilyn's audience. And that both allows Dominic to sort of free himself from the need to craft an artificial um, overarching narrative onto her life and just sort of impose that on her. Hmm. Um, But it also kind of leaves the film in a place where I, I don't know that it really holds together cohesively hmm. because of that. And that's frustrating because there's so much good going on in, in the filmmaking and in the performance. I, I like overall, I like Ana de Armas's performance a lot as Marilyn. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I just I don't know that the picture as a whole fully works. It's difficult because the conversation around this film so much so far has been focused so much on um uh larger cultural forces and whether that means that you have to either love it or hate it mm-hmm. or 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 either like it or hate it and i feel like i i'm much more conflicted about it mm. and i'm still sorting it through i think it's a really complex film uh in its couple of ideas maybe the problem is that it has a couple of ideas and it kind of needs more to sort of fill itself out if that makes sense which is kind of a wild thing to say about a movie that is two hours and 45 minutes long it's funny um you feel conflicted i think i felt kind of numb by the end of this movie and not in a i've been like browbeaten by this movie to feel a certain way but at the same time i feel like i kind of echoed a lot of norma jean's mental like journey throughout the movie like what she was feeling on the screen i kind of felt like i was feeling in almost an oppressive way as i was watching it and at the same time i also felt very much at a remove so i don't know your history with with marilyn monroe movies i have seen a few of hers and i like her very much but i'm not like a a huge monroe devotee um i have heard some pretty uh conflicted things about the movie in particular because it it feels like it is focusing on one aspect of her life kind of behind those performances and a common critique that i've seen is that it doesn't really get across the complexity of her as a woman and i think the remove that i'm feeling from this movie and also from those other critiques is that this movie is an adaptation of a novel about a fictionalized version of this woman who may or may not have also been playing a character in public. So it feels like there are multiple layers of meaning and layers of identity that you kind of are forced to excavate. And at the same time, Andrew Dominic is is working very hard to replicate a lot of photos of the real life Marilyn Monroe, even though Joyce Carol Oates in particular has said pretty explicitly that her novel is not meant to be a biography. It is definitely fiction that draws pretty heavily from her own life. So there's there's this conflict of this movie is meant to be a fictionalization about a fictional but also sort of real character and then also a very faithful translation of a lot of those images of that real person's life onto screen and I don't really know how to square that circle because it feels like those two instincts like those creative instincts are kind of at odds with each other I mean that's that's kind of the trick about talking this movie and I don't know that I can really square that circle either so this is uh, entire episode might be an exercise of us kind of like going I don't know maybe it works maybe it doesn't <laughs> mm-hmm. I at some level, Dominic does seem to be very intentionally leaning into the fact that it's a fool's errand even to try to capture the real Norma Jean slash Marilyn on film, hmm. and it's pointless to even try. And so instead, he's going to um, explore certain facets of her and of Oates's novel that he personally finds interesting. Um at the same time, it does feel like it is kind of trying to not just explore 
what Marilyn the persona is, but also explore who Marilyn the person was. Like it, there are definite ploys for sympathy throughout mm-hmm. this throughout this film. That it feels like he is trying to make us feel that uh, Anna de Armas's Marilyn was a flesh and blood woman who had a hard life, um, who was uh, in 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 some ways uh, suffered a lot in the public eye uh, because of the public eye, and there's some culpability with on the part of the audience in bringing that about. And mm. we have to reckon with that. Um, at the same time, it also kind of wants to be more to remove and kind of examine like the idea of Marilyn, more of an abstraction. And again, like I, I, I and I wonder if it's a structural problem, maybe like, is this an issue where it's as an anthology film where it's sort of like one part of the film is about Marilyn, the flesh and blood woman and one part of the film is about Marilyn kind of as a postmodern idea sort of the Warhol painting mm-hmm. and we're supposed to consider them both side by side and form kind of a cohesive picture out of them but not necessarily try to think that the figure that Anna de Armas is portraying in either section is literally the same person hmm. I don't know if it's fully successful at pulling that balancing act off though Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I go back and forth. <laughs> I'm not sure it is either. And maybe it's because it's not really side by side, but sort of superimposed on top of each other, almost like that same collage effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like the movie's ploys for sympathy also feel deeply voyeuristic in a lot of ways that I really didn't appreciate. There, There is very little... And again, like I'm conflicted about this. I did not hate this movie. I don't think I liked it much either, and I don't plan on watching it again. And at the same time, I keep coming back to it trying to figure out, like, what are the pieces of this that did work for me as a ploy for sympathy or as an exploration of this persona that kind of we have taken and and turned into, like, a cultural icon completely divorced from the actual woman that she was. And I don't know how well the movie is able to do that because I think that the movie has a difficult time separating Norma Jean from Marilyn. I think that there are a couple of flashes where Ana de Armas says like Marilyn isn't here right now and she hangs up the phone. But I didn't really get, I I got the impression that she is trying to dig herself out from underneath Marilyn, but I had a really hard time being able to find the line between the two. I'm not sure that it ever really fully existed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I So one thing that Dominic does repeatedly over the course of the film is he has he has a scene uh, that is a shot of a theater. And in that theater, people are watching... Uh, a Monroe movie mm-hmm. on the screen. Um, so that's very obviously a device they're using to make say that this is a film essentially about watching and how watching uh, a constructed artificial version of a person um, doesn't just we're, we're not just watching like the the art the artifact itself. We're also constructing our own impressions and meanings around that artifact. And he uses that to explore both what that meant for Marilyn's person and also to kind of 
implicate the audience in the different postures we can take while doing that. So at one point, um, there's a uh, a sequence where we see Marilyn. Uh, she's it's towards the the end of her career, and she's on an airplane, mm. and she has to get up. She she's got a lot of you know pills and alcohol in her system. She's kind of like having to get up from her airplane seat and go into the airplane bathroom. And while she does that, um, we see her uh, walk past this very um, classy crowd, like the the airplane cabin becomes a like the oscar the the floor of the theater on oscar night and there are all these people giving her a standing ovation very respectful giving her um the uh, according her the respect of her peers Mm -hmm. they're they're not like uh you know the hooting and hollering audience that we see at the red carpet with distorted faces and you know just hungry mouths like wanting to devour her it's it's very different um, so she walks past them though, and then she goes into the airplane bathroom and she throws up on the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially to me, that felt like Dominic saying like, do you want a, a prestige version where you get to feel good about yourself for watching a classed up version of Marilyn's life? Well, here's what, here's the good that does her, you know, mm-hmm. like that you are literally being thrown up on by, <laughs> by, uh, Ana de Armas in that moment. And then she leaves the bathroom. She walks again past these really respectful people applauding for her and passes out in her seat again. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, there are other, are those other shots where um, she's going to a premiere of The Seven Year Itch, the famous movie where she's standing over the subway grate and her skirt is being blown up. Mm-hmm. And the men uh, lining the red carpet are monstrous, mm-hmm. grotesque. And that is also like another way that... Uh, Marilyn, the sex symbol, not the actress, but the sex symbol is also like there. That also is part of the the way that she is being um, fixated upon in a way that's not healthy. But both of them are unhealthy, I guess. I I found that interesting that he found time to critique both of those rather than saying like, oh, the people who consumed her as a sex object are bad but the people who consumed her as a serious actress are good somehow like he doesn't give us that refuge yeah yeah and i'm glad that he portrays both of those in kind of a nuanced way but i don't know that that read of her throwing up on the camera in in the airplane bathroom is an interesting one i don't know how much I agree with it. And I think that's because I don't know how much agency the movie is willing to give her. I think a lot of these vignettes seem to portray her as somebody that things happen to. You don't really get a lot of sense of what it was like to grow up as Norma Jean. Like you you start off with a few vignettes of her as a small child um, dealing with a mother who is deeply troubled and then being sent away to an orphanage once her mother is, is deemed like incapable of raising her. And then you skip directly to her as an adult and her adult career and trying to break into acting. And then you don't really get much of the details of what it was like to live and work as Marilyn. I think you get some of the details of what it is like to live and exist as Marilyn. And I think that there's a fine line hmm. between the two. Because to live and to work as Marilyn in 
I guess implies that there is a little bit more of a, a choice and a decision to put on the persona. How much of that decision was an actual choice in the beginning and for the real woman, I don't know and I wouldn't presume to know. But this movie seems to state that the identity of Marilyn is one that Norma Jean never really truly wanted. She talks about people seeing Marilyn Monroe and Marilyn Monroe being a character who only exists on the movie screen, but she's not Marilyn Monroe. She's Norma Jean, and nobody else is capable of seeing that. And it kind of feels as though that hungry gaze, like that devouring gaze, is something that is putting that on top of her, almost like a shroud, and she can't escape from it. And so she has to do what she can in order to deal with the pain of being forced to be Marilyn Monroe. And I don't know, like that that feels like that is kind of disenfranchising the character. And I hate saying the word disenfranchising because I don't think that that's what Andrew Dominic is trying to do here necessarily, but it does feel as though Monroe is is just an idea or a thought and Norma Jean is kind of trapped in her gravity well and isn't able to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the charitable read of the film is that, um, is, is that he, he's essentially punting on the question uh, on, on trying to give her agency, uh, Mm -hmm. simply, uh, any sort of attempt to really, go deep on uh her psychology and, and kind of like what it was like to 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 be her as a full person rather than just as the the actress who made movies for an audience would be uh to create something that was trite and and false or at least something that was incomplete um and i think he tries to compensate for this by showing us many scenes where uh, the characters around her underestimate her. Hmm. Um, there's a, a scene with Arthur Miller where uh, she, you know, he is sitting down with her and he thinks she's just a, you know, an airhead who doesn't really get his play, doesn't really know what acting is, mm-hmm. doesn't know how to get inside the head of a character, and she uh, sur- she catches him off guard with just not not only just how psychologically insightful is but also just the craft that she has mm-hmm. um there's uh uh later scenes where characters just talk about how she's much smarter than they expected where where like they obviously expected her to be stupid because of misogyny mm-hmm. um and, and i think those scenes are meant uh they're dominic's way maybe of showing that he's not he he doesn't want her to be just sort of a figure that things happen to who has no interior life and is just sort of there to suffer for the audience's sins. Mm-hmm. Whether that's wholly successful as a strategy, I, probably not. But I, I think that that's what he's up to. Mm-hmm. And and I think that I would disagree with with anyone who who tried to to argue that she is wholly passive because I don't think that's entirely true either. Mm-hmm. In the scenes that we get between her and uh, Edward Edward G. Robinson Jr. and Charlie Chaplin Jr., mm-hmm. she's obviously very active and she does choose the life that um, that is uh, offered to her. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there's a there's that exchange where uh, Cass Chaplin is telling her about. She sees herself in the mirror, and that's where she truly is—is is in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And it's 
it eventually kind of becomes clear that, that was a devil's bargain of sorts to see herself that way. Mm-hmm. But it's also the first time in her life that she's been offered a way to be empowered. I think the thorniness of that is is pivotal for the film in, in just showing like she can be active and also be victimized. Mm-hmm. Like those those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. And that's kind of the the big problem of Marilyn is she was victimized by her fame, but she it wasn't something that was thrust upon her necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or at least this version of Marilyn, obviously. It's a fictionalized version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like the that's the charitable reading. Again, I'm, I'm not sure of how successful the film is. I'm still sorting through that. Yeah, I don't know if the movie fully succeeds at that. And I think some of that gets at we don't see a lot of um, Marilyn acting. We see a lot of recreations of Ana de Armas in Marilyn's place in a lot of real life movies. Um, she's kind of cut and pasted in, again, getting back at, the, at that um, collage idea But there are moments where she's reading for a play for Arthur Miller, for example, and all of the other actors around her are going through the script. They're saying their lines like she's waiting for her moment. And the moment that her character is supposed to come onto the scene and start saying something, she looks up, she makes eye contact with the camera, there's a tear that slides down her face, and then we smash cut to the next scene. We don't get to see a lot of that brilliance that a lot of other people are getting the opportunity to see. And we do hear afterwards that that reading that she does is great and everybody loves it. And I kind of wish that the movie had been willing to show us that brilliance instead of telling us about that brilliance. And maybe this is, again, maybe it's, maybe it's a structural thing. Maybe it's the fact that we kind of do jump from, from place to place. And so it does feel like moments and characters are sort of disappearing appeared and forgotten uh, once they've kind of had their big scene. So there's, you know, there's obviously the uh, relationships that uh, Marilyn has with various men over the course of the film. Mm -hmm. And once their section of the film is over, they just disappear and they don't really figure into anything. They don't come back and you don't get really a sense that they exist anymore. It's not so much that Marilyn has moved on. It's more like they just don't feel like they're a part of the film. It feels very episodic. And maybe there's not a lot of connective tissue to hold those episodes together. And in that connective tissue maybe is where is where those missing elements that you're talking about are. Well, it's so strange though, because I mean, this is a two hour and 45 minute movie. You'd think that there would be a little bit more space and room for that connective tissue. And yet a lot of the interactions that Marilyn has with these men, the triad at the beginning of the movie with with Cass uh, excluded, I think a lot of these are, are very ugly. And a lot of them are her on the receiving end of some sort of pain or trauma or, I don't know, being forced to become something that she doesn't want to be and wants no part in and yet has no choice about anyway. Um, And this, I think, is where the movie tends to get a little bit more explicit. Um, So there is a scene where she's raped by a film producer and that's how she gets her first job. And then there's also another assault scene with her and JFK. And those scenes are shown so very explicitly. And yet the connective tissue between her and these other men that she has relationships with is just kind of elided and left by the wayside. 
And I don't know if I would have liked the movie all that much more if the one had been left out and the other had been included. Like, I, I can't judge the movie on those merits necessarily, but I do think that the movie is very interested in showing the very deeply painful parts of her life that she would much rather forget and is very good at redacting the pieces of her life that probably were a lot more pleasant and, and good for her and, and, you know, wholesome and life affirming. And I, I, again, I'm not entirely sure how to square that circle because it is possible to be a whole person and to also endure very painful things. And it is also possible to endure painful things and also have like a good and happy and full and rounded life. And I don't think that this movie is able to quite nail that balance. Did I, did you see, uh, uh, either Jackie or, uh, Diana, the, the princess Diana film? Uh, I haven't seen Diana. I have seen Jackie and I, I did like Jackie. I, I'm curious because like Jackie kind of reminded me a little bit of this as well. Not just mm. because JFK is a total jerk in <laughs> both to put it, put it mildly. Mm. Um, because they're both kind of about women who are in the public eye who find that to be a, a deeply difficult and alienating experience and they're both kind of about is it possible to really get under the skin of a person who's so practiced at putting on a facade mm-hmm. um I, i'm curious to know uh since you say that you liked jackie kind of how you would compare this compare and contrast this with with blonde well jackie feels more like a snapshot of a very specific moment in time and just that moment and kind of like excavating the grief that comes along with it because it is right after the assassination of jfk and you get you do get a little bit more rounded a picture of jackie played by natalie portman um through some flashbacks and through some what looks like archival footage of her giving tours of the White House and things like that. But it's so much more interested in her internal experience of what she's going through. And I don't know that I got the internal feeling of what it is like to be Marilyn as a whole, even though the movie Blonde is so focused on not really her life as a whole, but a more rounded picture. It's it's not just focused on a single snapshot. The movie is framed around a lot of different snapshots, like very famous photos of Marilyn Monroe, very faithfully recreated. And I think that's where the line between Marilyn, like Norma Jean, the fictional character, and then Marilyn Monroe, the icon, and then also Marilyn Monroe, the very real person, they all kind of blur together for me at those moments where you have Ana de Armas recreating these iconic photos. And I'm not really sure how to read or what to read into those images other than we had the ability to recreate this snapshot, so we did it. And that doesn't seem like the right reason to put that image onto a screen in that order. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of feels like the difference between, uh, again, comparing Jackie to Blonde, it kind of feels like the difference between uh, a film that really is trying to get under her skin, so to speak, and a film that's more a feature-length eulogy. Hmm. Or maybe not even a eulogy. It's not It's not a perfect analogy, but it does just feel like this is a film that's about Marilyn and is kind of about trying to sort through the complicated relationship that her audience had with her as a public figure, and maybe how that intersects with 
her personhood, mm. but it's not necessarily about her personhood as such. Like it's not it's not trying to let us into how it felt to uh, be in these various relationships with men. Um, it doesn't really, at least. I didn't feel like I got a good sense of what it felt like for her to so desperately want children and mm-hmm. to be constantly like she doesn't, she's never allowed to have like the movie goes into great detail about her, her various pregnancies and, and how they all ended. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and there's obviously great grief and trauma involved with each one of those, but I don't know that it really lets us into that experience. And again, like, I don't know if if that's necessarily what Dominic was trying to do, but because it doesn't let us into that, it does feel a little bit like a movie about her rather than a movie that tries to give us access to her. Hmm. Um, And again, like the, the intent is hazy enough that I'm not sure whether that means that it's a failure or just a mixed success. Hmm. I mean... I'm leaning mixed success if just because the recreations of those images, I think, are are what have been sticking with me, even though I'm, I feel very mixed about them at the same time. All of the other stuff, the, the things that feel like they have been made up a little bit more, maybe not whole cloth, but the things that feel like they are tailor-made for this narrative to fit this character and not this actual person, those didn't work for me quite as well. So the imagery around Marilyn's children that she wanted to have and wasn't able to have, like, I, I was left feeling kind of cold by a lot of those. And I think it could also be that a lot of that comes towards the middle to end point of this movie. And by that point, Like I'd mentioned at the top, I really just kind of felt numb at the end of this because there really wasn't a lot of nuance beyond pain. Like there are flashes of joy and there are flashes of other feelings and there's that feeling of being hunted by all of these these wild animal people who have shown up to the premiere. But so much of that just feels so deeply oppressive that I didn't really know what else I was supposed to take away from the movie other than that sensation of pain. And at that point, I just sort of shut off and I finished the movie, but I I didn't enjoy the experience. And even though I know it's not an experience that is designed or intended to be enjoyed, I don't know that I got very much insight into Marilyn the figure or Marilyn the character out of it either. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say that I felt like I got a lot out of the film in that it made me consider what my posture is toward a film as I'm watching it. Mm. And maybe not toward a film, but at least toward the people on screen, whether, you know, uh, I think the something that this film is perceptive about is maybe the way that actors, uh, both men and women, can sort of be abstracted into their characters or into their celebrity rather than seen as full people while we are watching them on, you know, on the, on a screen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting to think about the moral claims that a film and its stars make on us while we, while we watch them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's, it's a productive thing to force the audience to think about. And I think part of the way he forces us to think about is really, you know, kind of like 
you know, rubbing our noses a little bit in the pain that she went through. Mm. And I don't think it feels exploitative necessarily. Like, I, I do think he, for all the hullabaloo around this being an NC-17 movie, it doesn't feel as in your face with its more adult elements as many R-rated movies I've seen. Hmm. It did not feel um, exploitative to me in that way. Whether it's exploitative to make this, make the thesis statement of a movie about her uh, something that's not really related to her as a person, I mean, that's that's debatable. I, I thought it was interesting to think about. I don't know about the ethics of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt that rating with the JFK scene. Um, and at that point, I kind of wish that I wasn't also watching the movie at the same time. Um, it just, it felt unnecessary and it felt exploitative in a way that Marilyn, the character in that moment, is also being treated as an object, but I felt like I was being made to treat her as an object as I was watching the movie, just given mm. the char- the camera angle uh, where we're watching this scene at. And I also felt like the movie was sort of implicating me in that position, even though the movie had been what put me in that position in the first mm. place. And that's where I think the the rubbing our noses in how Marilyn is seen and perceived in the culture at large, like that feels disingenuous because it feels as though the movie is trying to implicate us for something that the movie in a sense sort of made us do. (laughs) And that I don't like and that I don't appreciate. And I really wish that that was a creative choice that Andrew Dominic hadn't made. You know, I feel like that's a a criticism that comes up about the films of Michael Haneke too, like uh, Funny Games. Uh, I don't know if if you've seen that, but that's, that's a film that very explicitly, it's a about a home invasion um, where the killers break the fourth wall and mm. uh, accuse the audience of going to see a film about a home invasion for their own entertainment. Mm. And uh, Haneke uses that to sort of interrogate lots of audience impulses when we go to see a genre picture like that. Lots of people hate hate that film. I, I really like it, but it's definitely, mm. it's very divisive. Lots of people have really good arguments that say, well, Michael Haneke, you are the one making the movie. So why is it my responsibility that you're making the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's it's an interesting question that you, we could probably go back and forth. That, that could be a, an entire episode all by itself. Yeah, that probably could. And that's a movie that I, I I don't know if I need to catch up with it, but it is a movie I have not seen. So I can't, I can't speak intelligently to it at this Again, point. Again, like it's, it's a movie that's very difficult to watch, but just in terms of the explicitness of the imagery, it's less explicit than a lot of horror films, just in terms of like the mm. the amount of punishment that we see inflicted on somebody in like on camera. Mm. Um, and I felt that way with Blonde. Even the scene uh, that we're talking about with the, the assault by, by JFK, it's difficult to watch and it's stomach churning in what we know is happening. But the camera, like pretty much all we see is Marilyn's eyes Mm -hmm. like the the cameras it's an extreme close-up we don't really see anything except her face as she sort of disassociates during the experience Mm -hmm. and that to me felt like a way to for dominic to portray an assault like that without exploiting it in the way that something like the last house on the left is or i spit on your grave where Mm -hmm. They really want you to see a an assault in all its horror because that's going to ju- juice you up to really want something out of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Dominic does this does that with this scene. So even though it is intense, 
it didn't feel like it, it didn't feel explicit in the same way. It didn't feel pornographic to me, which mm. I appreciated. Yeah, no, I'm I'm there with you. I just wish that the intent that I think we're both getting from that scene had had been more carefully considered. And mm. I don't know how you portray something like that in a way that does give you like the sensitivity that I'm hoping for. And maybe that's because the act itself is something that is obscene and should never happen to anybody. And so maybe just the fact that we're discussing it in that way means that the scene was both a failure and a success at the same time, which kind of feels like the movie as a whole, honestly. I mean, yes, no, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. There's a, I, man, we're already like 45 minutes into this episode and I still feel like there's so much to talk about, but maybe that's a good way to, a good note of ambivalence mm-hmm. to close our discussion out on. Uh, on a very complex and, and difficult film. Um, so, listeners, that's our review of Blonde. Um, it is streaming on Netflix currently. If you've had a chance to to see this and have any thoughts to offer about the edges of this film, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the thorns on it, uh, very interested in hearing anyone who's had a chance to wrestle with it themselves and uh, liked it or hated it or came away with mixed feelings about it yes absolutely uh but that'll do it for our october bonus episode thanks so much for tuning in our producer is the fearless jonathan clausen who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen i'm your host kevin mcclinathan i am your co-host sarah welch larson and we'll see you next month on the next bonus episode of seeing and believing you have been listening to seeing and believing an official production of the christ and pop culture podcast network Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.